following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast. All things mid-century America and around the world. I'm Craig. Who are you guys? I'm Paula. I'm Dave. Good to be with you today. We're talking about... Recreation in the mid-century. It's going to be a riveting show. White-hot excitement. <laughs> nice. Paula, if people wanted to follow us on uh, social media and that sort of thing, what would they do? Where would they go? Um, they would go to Facebook. Mid said, oh, the Mid-Modcast. The Mid-Modcast. I think there's a, a, is there a hyphen in there or something? No, I think if you just, just type in The Mid-Modcast. Mid um, Instagram, we have some cool pictures under The Mid-Modcast. And the Tweety. Yes. The Mid-Modcast. And if they want to email us, where do they email us if they want to email Mid-Modcast at gmail.com. We have a phone Mid number too. Yes, we do. But I didn't write that down. Did you write that down? I did not <laughs> write not it handy. down, but actually I'm getting it right now. Oh, my goodness. Look at you it, go. You've thrown me under the bus, unless Dave has it handy. That's okay. I do not. It's I don't think area code. Oh, Are area we code. ready? Oh. Area code 216-309-2204. Wait, what was that number again? Once again, 216-309-2204. Call now. We'll double your order. I don't know. All Is anybody calling, calling, calling us? Yeah. We'll double your order of mid-modcast if you call now. <laughs> no, go ahead and call that number and, and leave us a message if you would like. Uh, yeah. You can just say hi or give us show ideas or leave yeah. us a memory. Memories are always Ooh, good. We may even play it. Yeah. Because we, we need some content. Leave us a memory. Hey, can they also? Yeah, wait. We mentioned email, the phone, yeah, social I think we're media. Covered. Okay. Yeah. Did you mention the Twitter? Yes, the Tweety. We did mention the Twitter. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. All right. Yeah. Anything oh, and where do you get, what do you need to do once you see this um, podcast? You should You rate should subscribe. And rate us. And rate. Favorably. That would be good. Okay. And maybe a fun review. You really are a school teacher because you're like trying to lead <laughs> me along here. And eight plus eight is... If you have eight apples, as long and you as I'm not apples, doing the Ferris Bueller thing, anybody, <laughs> anybody, Bueller, Bueller, anyone, what is it called? Voodoo economics. Sorry, That's I have right. gotten way off track here. George Bush. All right, Voodoo enough. Economics. Okay. Enough. Uh, anyway, we're talking about entertaining in the 50s and 60s. And this was, of course, a time, as usual, we'll talk about that is after World War II, a time of great prosperity, a time of optimism, and people have money for the first time in years. We've come off the Depression and then the war economy and everything else. So here we are in the 50s and 60s. The economy's booming. People have cash. And they're starting to do things like build out living space in their backyards, which people didn't do before. 
They they used the backyard as workspace or animal space. Most people had gardens in their backyards. They grow fruit and vegetables and that yes. sort of thing. A lot of people still do. But all of a sudden, the backyard became a place where you'd put something like a swimming pool and a barbecue pit and uh, maybe a concrete pad or, or something. And, and you would use it for athletics and all sorts of fun things that you didn't really have the money for before. So the backyard becomes a place of recreation, a place where you could entertain. And patio furniture became all the rage. Dave, I know uh, you've mentioned before some really cool patio furniture and stuff, but I won't put you on the spot and ask you for names or anything. But <laughs> He uh, is Dave, though. I, I do he remember knows. you know, being a kid, and we had some really cool steel patio furniture that was mm. super uncomfortable if you didn't mm. have a cushion. But I, I think actually my mom had it until she moved out of her last house into uh, the senior living apartments, and, and it lasted for years and years oh. and years and years. Anyway, this is a time where you would buy that sort of thing. And of course you would have people over and when you would have them over, you would barbecue and you would barbecue what we barbecue today, steaks, burgers, dogs, all of that kind of stuff. Of course the jello would always make an appearance. And if there was fish involved, extra points for fishy jello stuff, I guess. But uh, the kids would run wild in the yard. Since you mentioned barbecue, I have to ask you guys a question. I don't know if this is going to uh, spark our, our listeners' imaginations, but growing up in Southern California, did you, what did you two think of the pork steak when you moved oh, to the St. Louis area? The pork area? steak uh, was uh, unknown to us I until know. we moved to St. Louis. You okay. can find them up here in Cleveland. Yeah. You can get well, you can. an occasional pork steak. You stumble across. Yeah, and you know how we ended up with a pork steak? They were out of what we ordered. They oh, didn't have no. any ribs. And we'll, we said, uh. okay, what's a pork steak? Oh, I guess <laughs> I'll try it. And we brought it home, and it was very, very magical. Yeah. Oh. It was. So it's, barbecue it changed, pork steaks are a Midwestern staple, yes. Yeah. It changed <laughs> our lives. If you are listening and you've never had a pork steak, have a pork steak. It, it is really, it's it's basically the pork butt sliced in a steaks, isn't it? Is that exactly. right? Exactly. That's yeah. what it is. Yep. And, uh, but it's, it's magical. I'm hungry now. I know. Let's, <laughs> let's dump this program and go get some food. Okay. Fire up the barbecue. And, so anyway, we, we, we would celebrate life in the summertime, especially around the barbecue. And, uh, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, when we entertained, the kids would come and we just ran wild in the neighborhood. It was it was a time to be a pack of hyenas <laughs> and just just go berserk. Uh, meanwhile, the parents are doing parent stuff, whatever boring stuff they were doing. And uh, every now and then you'd get a little ding dong ditch them going on the neighbors <gasps> or something naughty oh, like that. No. Ring the doorbell and run. Dave's got this look like I would never <laughs> I would, personally. I, I, no, I I've just I've never heard it called that ding dong ditch them. Oh, ditch. okay. Maybe, maybe we called it ding dong ditch or ditch him. Oh, or whatever. Yeah. Didn't know that one. Yeah. So, you know, all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. And it, it wasn't a party until some kid was crying because they skinned their knee or something like that. But oh, yeah. That. Yeah. So, anyway, that's, that's kind of our initiation into this era a little bit. And entertaining in the homes was always, always a big to do. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. I've got a really, really cool article from Good Housekeeping on party etiquette. So we'll, we'll get into a little party etiquette 
Uh, get, in the 19. Get your pinkies ready to hold out as you drink your tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, what, what do you have for us today? Well, today I'm going to talk about the wonders that came from the Whammo Corporation back Whammo. in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So growing up in the 70s, I loved all the toy commercials that ran on TV during the after-school programming. So probably much like you guys, um, toy commercials and cereal commercials, oh, were, yeah. they were awesome in the 70s. And um, for the toy commercials, it seemed like all the cool outdoor stuff came from Wemo. And for our listeners who don't know that company, it's spelled W-H-A-M dash O. Oh! Wemo. <laughs> and the company's name came supposedly from the sound of a shot from a slingshot hitting a target. Because Whammo's very first product ever was their Ashwood Slingshot. <laughs> and that came out of their South Pasadena family garage. So everything cool comes out of Southern California. So, Aww. yeah, the D'Onofrio's. Yes, that's right. We yeah. are just like. That's true. We are Whammos. like hula hoops. <laughs> the Whammo company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the company was founded in 1948 when USC grads Richard Nur and Arthur Melvin quit their jobs and decided to start their own business. And the one that put them on the map in 1957, the biggest toy fad in modern history at the time, the hula hoop. It was based on an Australian bamboo exercise hoop, but Whammo made it there made theirs from crystalline polypropylene and high density <laughs> polyethylene aka martex did you guys know they were made of martex i did not no. know that yeah, that sounds made, like a very valuable thing though i, I know right martex. is it bulletproof yeah. and well i don't know but it doesn't hurt <laughs> as much as bamboo would so yeah so there you go um 25 million hula hoops were sold in four months and sales reached more than 100 million units within two years. Wow. Wow is right. <laughs> oh by, <my. laughs> by 1959, hula hoop sales earned 45 million, which in $2,020 adjusted for inflation would be approximately $395 million. So, they started the product in 57 and then earned a whole lot of cash by 1959. And just out of curiosity, how are the D'Onofrio's at hula hooping? When I was a kid, I could do it. Now I haven't done it in so long. I don't know. Yeah. I'm actually I no pretty idea. good. I, oh. I picked up my first one at like age four or five and boom, I could do it. And awesome. the, my sisters always laugh at me because I was not athletic, but I could like do yo-yos and hula hoops and and um, pogo sticks and things like that. That was my Very athletic cool. ability and ping pong. Nice. I was pretty good at the ping. So I guess things oh, that are yeah. rhythmic. I'm a musician. Maybe that there makes you sense. Go. I don't know. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, um, being good at the hula hoop is all about the rhythm. Mm. And what about other Whammo products that you guys know? Do you remember any? Uh, slip and slide. 
The slip and slide, slip and slide was, was a Whammo product. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Was, also, was the Wheelo a uh, Whammo product? Do you remember the Wheelo? <laughs> I love that. the Wheelo. I don't. I don't think. I'm not sure. It wasn't. Know. I didn't find that in my research. Maybe it's just yeah. the O at the end that makes me think that it is. <laughs> there you go. Wheelo, yeah. Whammo. Yeah. Yeah. Click clacks? Were they? Mm. Okay. But Whammo might have marketed their own right. version of version. them. But I think there was another um, thing called the Frisbee. The Frisbee. Oh, yes. of course. The yeah. Frisbee. And one of my favorite things, I think mostly because the clear ones, you could see like neat things embedded inside of them the super ball oh yeah i love super balls yeah, yeah me too super ball yep and of course don't forget silly string Ooh, that was another thing yeah that was another Whammo? famous whammo product and then i think on a previous episode craig and paula we've talked about super elastic bubble plastic do you guys remember this one no no so, is that like silly putty well, no, it, it was this, I know we've talked about this. It was a, a gelatinous goo that you squeezed out of a tube. Yes. And then you had to roll it in your fingers to make a little ball out of it. And then you stuck a straw in it. Yes. And you blew on it to make a like a, a bubble. bubble. Yes, they still yeah. sell that. I've seen that. Well, if they do, it's a different version than what was sold in the 1970s yeah. because it was discontinued after a time due to the, due to the noxious fumes that Yeesh. the product em emitted. <laughs> and, and when you, you know, consider that you, you used a straw, you're getting all kinds of those fumes in your face and in your mouth. And oh. yeah, so yeah, it, it wasn't a good. But Why does little cool, Timmy man. seem so mellow right now? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then do you guys remember the magic window? That's familiar. They were two plastic ovals that were connected. And on the inside, there was that cool, shimmery, different colored sand. And you could, you know, manipulate it to make all kinds of designs yeah. and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Trippy, man. Groovy. <laughs> Groovy. And then in the 80s, the hacky sack. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they're going That's strong. That's right. That in was the a whammo. Right. And then this is also cool about whammo. They also cashed in on fads. For example, in 1962, they produced a limbo dance kit <laughs> to go along with Chubby Checker's limbo rock <laughs> craze. Nice. <laughs> yeah. For parties. Can you go lower now? Probably for adults, I would imagine. Too. Oh, I'm sure every, mm -hmm. everybody used. And yeah. Paula, I thought, you know, in your skating rink thing, you were definitely going to talk about um, the limbo, but you chose a different topic. So ah. And in the 70s, I think I vaguely remember these. They produced plastic shark teeth to co uh, to coincide with the Jaws craze. Okay. Dun -dum, dun, yes. Dun -dun. Okay. So moving away from Whammo, but we're still in the backyard entertainment uh arena wait 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 i i just looked at whammo's website and they i i 
they're still making the slip and slide and the Super Bowl and the oh. Frisbee and all that. They're, they're still marketing. You remember yeah. the Super Bowl? You go out and find a concrete pad somewhere and you slam it down as hard as you can on the ground. Oh, and you seriously? watch it shoot yes, up in the course. air about 8,000 8, feet. And then yeah. you never see it again. Bounces no, over to a neighbor's would. house or something. Right. It's, it's I wonder gone. I kept finding it's Super gone. Balls everywhere. <laughs> they bounced over the hill from my house they're to yours. They're probably your That's, Super Balls. Yes. There, there you go. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dave. You, you well, were going talking somewhere. Talking about things... Bouncing or um, impelling into your flesh, as it were. The most infamous (laughs) and dangerous of the recreation craze of the 50s and 60s were jarts. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about some self-piercing type thing. (laughs) Well, there's probably somebody who has self-pierced with a jart. Oh, yeah. Jarts were were probably the most famous brand of lawn darts or... Javelin darts, jarts. jarts. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I there didn't we go. know that. That's yeah, javelin neither. darts. Javelin darts, jarts. So these were foot-long darts with a metal or plastic tip, kind of like a dull spear, on one end, and three plastic fins on a rod at the other. So it was it was kind of based on sort of the idea of playing horseshoes. Players tossed the jarts underhand towards the plastic ring target, which was placed on the ground. The idea was to get the jart to land in such a way that the metal tip sticks in the ground, in the ground, not in the other player's flesh. (laughs) (laughs) And the the idea was to land the, I I mean, we're making light, but... There, there's probably somebody listening who knows somebody who was seriously injured by a jart. So maybe we should be a little more oh, serene. But okay. The idea was to land the jart inside the circle in the ground. Mm. Um, however, sadly, due to the numerous injuries that resulted from playing jarts, they're now banned in the U.S. and Canada. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Who had jarts? But, I my, did. What my family did, we took them on camping trips. Yes. How about yours, I think, Craig? I think we did, but I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But they probably got sold in a garage sale long ago, so I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. Yeah. We got our second hand, so I think that they weren't that sharp. They didn't stick in the ground very well either. <laughs> I just Googled how many people died from jarts. Oh, dear. Tangentian much? Well, no, it's, no, it's, it's, it's topic. on topic. Never mind, never mind. Uh, lawn darts were responsible for an estimated 6,100 hospital emergency <gasps> room-treated injuries. Wow. Oh, dear. Approximately 81% of victims were under 15 years old. 50% were under the age of 10. So. Aww. This wow. is something that required adult supervision, apparently. That yes. uh, wasn't. I, were adults around when we're playing? No. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> see the death toll on this, but uh, uh, I think we'll just leave it there. That's good. That's Your just... glorious mid-century modern barbecue turn into a. Yes. Well, like I said, Orange. it wasn't it wasn't complete until a kid was crying. So you well, know, well, there you go. Skin right. knee, jart through the foot. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember right. any of so, us getting hurt. <laughs> So that's, that's what I got. All right. Ooh. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Who's next? Who's up next? Paula, you want to go? Okay. Do you know what 20, 20 million people had in common in the 50s? 20 million. They had one thing in common. 
They all bowled regularly. 20 million people. And there's actually, I've got some of this information from the International Bowling Museum and Hall of Fame. I think it used to be in St. Louis. No, it's in Arlington, Texas. Oh, I I didn't know. Yeah, maybe because it is in Arlington, Texas, and it's on Six Flags Boulevard. So I'm assuming it's Uh. near Six Flags somewhere. And, oh, it is said that it was invented in Germany, and I did know this information. It was, it was around 300 A.D., and it was actually a religious ritual. Did you know this? Where mm. people would roll stones at clubs to absolve their sins. Wow. Kind of a metaphor oh. for uh, I'm sure that would work. sins down. Um, and it was actually uh, banned by King Edward III back in the day, way back. Because the troops weren't focused enough on their archery practice. And <laughs> then it got. Busy bowling. Yeah, they were busy bowling. And then again, it got banned later by King Edward VIII because they were so infatuated with bowling that they were neglecting all their trades and ruining the economy. I have a feeling these kings were banning it because they weren't any good. Well, they the still let the up. Oh, maybe. But the upper class still could bowl. Oh, so your theory may could. be correct. They just, uh, you know, uh, uh, forbade it with the, with the um, for all the commoners. Yeah, the commoners. Yeah, they just dressed way better than the yeah. other people who were bowling. Maybe they wore those cool <laughs> outfits and shoes. Is that is that the royalty got the bowling shirts? Is that the way that that maybe worked? I don't know, <laughs> but it has been around a really long time, and people have been infatuated with it for a really long time. I mean, enough to ruin the economy because they were bowling so much. Wow. Anyway, in the U.S., it's been around since before the Revolutionary War. And it apparently was brought by across the, the sea by Dutch settlers. But um, just as in, you know, the olden times, it really blossomed among the blue collar workers here. Mm-hmm. And um, and it really took off with the invention of the automatic pin setter. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but my dad used to be a, a non-mechanical pin setter back in the day when I he was a kid that. in the bowling alleys. They used to use kids. And... Um, and then once they got that automa- automated one, it really took off. And that was um, invented and produced in mass in 1956. So that's mm-hmm. why you find the late 50s bowling. And just going back a little in time, throughout the 1930s and 40s, it kind of got popular after Prohibition. They had these beer leagues. And these beer leagues were dominated by professional bowling. The best bowlers were recruited by beer companies. And Dave might know a little bit about beer because St. Louis is the Budweiser headquarters. And yeah, but, you would think. Yeah, I, I don't know. Not a big beer guy. So. <laughs> right, same here. <laughs> Miller, Stroh, and Budweiser were pitted against each other in these big t- tournaments. And they had these big, the era superstars were Buzz Five. Fazio, who bowled for Strohs, mm. Dick Weber, very, mm-hmm. very famous bowler. He bowled for Budweiser. And they actually faced off on television events that attracted millions and millions of viewers. And during this one 1961 performance on ABC's Make That Spare, pro bowler Don <laughs> Carter won $19,000 and a brand new Ford at that time. Now, then later on, they created the PBA. 
and that was the bowling association and it brought it even more attention and by 1965 the pba tour was televised on abc sports nationally and it had some huge sponsors um ford and coca-cola and at that time there was this time where the professional bowlers reigned supreme I had no idea that this was the truth. In the golden era of the 1960s and the 1970s, they made twice as much as NFL stars. Wow. Wow. They signed million-dollar contracts, and they were heralded as these international celebrities. And after each match, they were flanked by beautiful women who had seen them bowl on TV or read about them in Sports Illustrated. And in fact, the, in 1964, legend Don Carter was the first athlete, not just the first bowler, but the first athlete in any sport to receive a million-dollar endorsement deal. And that would be about $7.6 million today. And that was 100 times what Joe Namath got to um, his endorsement by Schick. And it is 200 times what Arnold Palmer got to for his endorsement with Wilson Sporting Goods. Wow. Hmm. So it was big time. It was big stuff. And because of this um, surge in in pro bowling, the number of bowling alleys in America nearly doubled. From There were uh, 6,600 bowling alleys in 1955 to 11,000 by 1963. And there were 3 million bowling leagues in 1955, and then there were over 7 million in 1963. So it was it was a big, it was just like the hula hoop, quickly, surged. Yeah. And there was also a seedy side of bowling, Ooh, which I was unaware. There was a very, dun, dun, dun. very dark side of bowling. I saw the Big Lebowski, so I know all about it. <laughs> yep, I was thinking about this while I was doing this research. There was something called action bowling. And it became very popular during this time. And it's high stakes form of gambling in which the bowlers faced off for thousands and thousands of dollars. So it was like po- poker. And it started at midnight and they ended about 7 a.m. So after the bowling alleys closed, there was this action bowling. And it is it was huge like poker is today. And they lasted all night. Um, there were a lot of unsavory characters. The mafia was huge into this wow. high stakes um, gambling on bowling. And they had lots of unsavory characters with <laughs> some nicknames I'm going to throw out at you. Goldfinger <laughs> was one of them. Ooh. Tony Sideweight. And One Finger Benny. One Finger Good Benny. Good old One Finger Benny. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Lenny the Cane. And Lenny the Cane would pour alcohol down his shirt before he bowled. So people sniffing him would think he was drunk. So they, uh-huh. and so there was a whole shtick. And it was not just about the um, bowling, they also had a lot of shtick going al- along with this. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And then, um, then in, then in the 1960s, bowling was just that thing to do, especially because so many stations were airing bowling. Mm-hmm. I was I couldn't find any national stats, but I looked up bowling in Buffalo and bowling in Utah. And at some in, bowl, in Utah, there were about three or four three stations that carried bowling as a as a primetime show. And in Buffalo, New York, they had bowling, and I so it must have been a national thing. 
Um, but kids would go, the parents would go, the grandparents would go. So it was just kind of the thing to do. And this is a perfect subject for Cleveland because yeah. like the Drew Carey show, it is not, Drew Carey show is not far off. There are many bowling alleys here still. And bowling is still kind of a thing here. My husband's looking at me quizzically. I think you need to watch the Drew Carey show because I don't remember there being any bowling. Oh, <laughs> I okay, but I thought there was bowling in the Drew Carey show. I thought maybe they bowled there was. Regularly. I don't remember that. All but right, maybe. I have not uh, watched the Drew Carey show, but yeah. it, but there are certainly the um the right around the corner is a bowling alley tavern, and it's been here since the sixties. It's oh, wow. not uncommon. And oh, and, and in nineteen seventies, when Richard Nixon was an uh, president, he was an avid bowler. I did not know this. He's the one who had the bowling alley put in right. the basement of the White House, and yep. it's mm -hmm. still there today. And um, I did. I wanted to close off with a little story that I found. Some some older gentleman in Chicago wrote his experiences about the the bowling alleys in the nineteen fifties, and his name is Steve. But I could not find his last name anywhere on the site. But here's his little story. He says, I started bowling in 1953 when I was only six years old. In those days, the only lightweight bowling balls were eight pounds. And, but they were half the wow. size of the regular ball. That seems like a lot for a six-year-old. I don't know. I shot a 66 for my first time. I used to see Bill Lillard on TV and tried to bowl like him, follow through and all. I went to several alleys on Chicago's north side and always had to wait a few minutes while they were waking up the pin boys. <laughs> there weren't a lot of bowlers on weekend afternoons and noons in those days, and there was usually only one pin boy who always seemed to take a nap when my dad and I arrived. It cost 25 cents per game and shoe, shoe rental was 10 cents. One day in late 1953, we went to Theater Bowl, 16 lanes in Chicago. We walked in and there were lots of people bowling and no pin boys. They had just installed an AMF pin uh -huh. spotter. We hadn't read about it and we were amazed at what we saw. As a six-year-old, I was a little scared. I thought they were robots, like from science fiction movies in the back of the alleys. The management let us go to the back and look at the machines. We were amazed at the ingenuity of the me mechanisms. After that day, I went on a lifelong quest to find out more about the machine and its history. A year later, many of our local alleys still had pinboys. One day, I finally got to see a Brunswick B5 semi-automatic pin setter close up. I was amazed at that machine too. I thought if I had been born 15 years earlier, I would have been a pin boy. Then in early 1955, construction of a new building was started right across the street from where I learned to bowl, an eight-lane center called Marquet Recreation. This new building was to become Sunset Bowl, a state-of-the-art for 1955 bowling center. Literally a day after it was completed, we went to check it out. It had underground ball returns and light purple-colored gutters. Ooh, that sounds cool. It was 32 lanes in a row. After bowling at old, dimly lit alleys, Sunset Bowl looks so futuristic. The older alleys went out of business one by one, and all the new behemoth centers were being built around the country. I think that's behemoth. <laughs> behemoth. It's or still behemoth. Yeah, behemoth. That's a big <laughs> word for me. Sorry, behemoth centers. Now, in the 21st century, a lot of us fondly remember those 
quaint alleys. They had a very strong smell of shellac and varnish, and they were all so different looking from each other. They all had their own character. One of the Chicago lanes called Bolium, ooh, had a giant mural of Rip Van Winkle along one of their walls. There's still a few places left with the pin boys. One in Chicago is Southport Lanes. They have four alleys, the original alleys from the 1920s, a billiard room, and a bar. But unlike the 25 cents a game of my youth, it now costs $300 an hour to rent for parties. Wow. And food is extra. But it's a real blast from the past. That would be fun to go there. Yeah. Bolium. I wonder if that has to do with, um, what was the? Bolium. Yeah, I was. I, I don't know. The futuristic, the girls were painting their watches out of it. Oh, oh golly uh, yeah, uh, radium. Radium. Bolium. Yeah. Doesn't that have that futuristic sound like kinda, radium? Kinda, yeah. 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 It's a little atomic. Yes, atomic. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's a good story there. Good <laughs> memories from the guy. Uh, bowling. Let's go bowling. Yeah. Let's go to Chicago. We can go to our friend's church, and they have four lanes in the basement. That'd I know. Be, the really gone cool. are those church bowling alley basement days. But it's, boy. it's just a time capsule. It's so <laughs> cool. I'm talking a little bit about uh, a article from Good Housekeeping entitled, Entertaining Guests at Home Looked Way Different 60 Years Ago. Mm. And it's basically party etiquette. And I'm not going to read all 40 of the things, <laughs> but I, I've, there were a few that just struck me that – uh, I thought we were actually very cool and worth reviving some of these traditions, I think. Yes. So the first thing is, if you were having a party, you would send the invitations by mail. Even though your phone worked just fine, you would do it by mail because that's the right thing to do. It's it's uh, the formal. proper, more formal thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the guest list was carefully curated. You wanted to make sure that you had people together that liked each other or that might like each other. You know, it's mm -hmm. a good time to do matchmaking yes. and that sort of thing, too. When you showed up, your coat went either straight into the closet or into a spare guest room. You wouldn't drape it over your the arm of your chair or anything like that. Oh. Dress codes were important. You needed to know how to dress, what kind of party it is. If it's a costume party, of course, you want to wear a costume. If it's a Saturday afternoon barbecue, you would dress a lot more casual. Uh, but people like to dress for parties. A lot of suits and ties. And some parties were even black tie. Uh, house whole, parties. Yeah, like a, a cocktail party. party black tie. I don't, I don't know. Is uh, uh, That's a little fancy, but uh, yeah. it, it happened. The evening would usually start with hors d'oeuvres, and uh, they were anything from onion dip to pretty much anything wrapped in bacon to a lot of the things that we would have today. Okay. Yeah. Usually a cheese ball would show up also. Until the 1970s, a cheese ball was a, a party staple. Oh, yeah. Cocktails were elaborate. Tom Collins, Gimlet's, Martinis, Manhattans. People drank complex cocktails, and we do too. Uh, at least in this house we do. In the Royal Ohana room in the basement, we have wonderful tiki libations. But yes. uh, it wasn't just your basic rum and coke necessarily. And if you were the host, uh, you would expect Martin. to shake a bunch of cocktails. For, or, or get mm. someone to do it, you know, a hire, hire a bartender if you had mm. money. Uh, presentation with food was everything. Almost just as important as how the food tasted was how it looked. And oh. so... 
you would have uh, Charles Phoenix does a lot of this, right? Little towers with fruit and all sorts of things on it. Uh, go to Charles Phoenix, uh, his website. You'll see a lot of this kind of stuff. Uh, let's see. Where was I? Kids usually made an appearance before going to bed. Kind of like the sound of music. The kids would make an appearance and they would march off to bed. I don't think that they necessarily sing a song, <laughs> but you never knew. Uh, theme parties were also popular as food trends pushed, uh, pushed toward the exotic uh, cuisine in the 1960s. There became a fascination with themed parties. And of course, who doesn't love a good luau? As I, say, I know yes, we do. I'm thinking luau. So luau is always a good thing. And people love costumes. They love par costume parties. Oh. The 50s and 60s were a great time for costume parties. This is something that I didn't realize. Balloons were always in style. And I love a good balloon too. But did you know that balloons were first manufactured in 1907? Who knew? No. Yeah. 1907. So they've always been a great fascination, especially in America. And of course, how could you ever have a mid-modcast without talking about our favorite topic, Jell-O? Jell-O always made an appearance if you had an outdoor event. Uh, you wouldn't even think about skipping the gelatin creation oh. for your summer barbecue. Bonus points if fish was mixed in, says, says Good Housekeeping. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with Good Housekeeping on this jello. one. This is fun. Cigarettes were always offered to guests. If you were having a sophisticated party, you would offer cigarettes. And, of course, in the 1950s, cigarettes were good for you. They opened up your lungs and all oh, that. And, and after then, dinner. And then we discovered they caused cancer. After dinner, the music started. And uh, it would often start out subdued and become more and more festive, depending on the party. And typically, the evening would end with dancing. And, of course, the oh. twist was always a staple in the oh. 50s and 60s, especially late 50s and, and early 60s. So you might be out there in your black tie, your tuxedo, and your gown doing the twist with uh, with your loved one finally thank you notes were always sent to the host whether it was a formal dinner oh party goodness. or a casual backyard gathering guests typically sent a thank you note in the mail a few days after the event oh. to the host you know this is something that i do on occasion but not very often and when we host a party i'm always i'm always very um Touched, I guess you could say, or impressed by those who actually do send a thank you note. Usually, email. These are folks who grew up in this area, era, rather. You uh, know, some of the older folks that uh, we associate with. We we are old people in our hearts and minds, I think. And uh, so, anyway, uh, always a good thing to send a thank you note. These days. Uh, we went to a party not too long ago, and of course, the Facebook Messenger thank you went out from, from us. <laughs> or, well, at least we did that. Yeah, yeah. I forget to do that often. So anyway, that's about it for the mid-modcast for today. Uh, stay swell, everyone. We'll get those thank you notes out. Get those thank you notes out. Once we socialize. Write, write us a thank you note for doing this podcast. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we'll plug. see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>